Hey there, listeners. Thanks for stopping by to the podcast today. Please, before you're done listening to this episode, leave us a review. If you're on Spotify, you can review now. And you can also review on Apple Podcasts. But if there's any platforms that I'm forgetting about and you can leave us a review, please do so. If you're happening to watch us on YouTube, and if you don't know, you can watch these podcasts on YouTube now, uh, please like and subscribe to the channel and share the episode as well. So thanks for stopping by, everybody, and enjoy. Knowledge is Power is where you come to hear people's life experiences to learn from. So without further ado, let's roll the intro. Stay hungry, stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I have a dream. We we'll one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Hello and welcome back to the Knowledge is Power podcast. This is your host, Max Willett, and a couple of podcasts ago when I had Dan Sarmiento on, I said we're going to have a few more baseball people on, and that's who I've got on today. So this podcast is going to be pretty much all about baseball, So <laughs> uh, you know, and the journey of how this particular person got to where they are. So if you could go ahead and introduce yourself, that would be great. Definitely. Thank you for having me on. Uh, my name is Ben Sears. I'm from East Providence, Rhode Island. And I am currently a professional baseball player in the minor league system for the Kansas City Royals. Yeah. So essentially what my dream was when I was 15 years old, you know, <laughs> to play baseball. But too bad I was subpar and below average. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is going to be really interesting. We've had on some past minor leaguers and a big leaguer on the podcast. Uh, I'm going to call out Chris Ainetta. been trying to get him on <laughs> a lot, but he keeps, you know, putting me down so i'm calling him out officially on the podcast today i'm going to make a clip of this and send it to him uh so chris you got to come on but um yeah so let's just talk about you know your life story you know you're only a year older than me i'm 21 you're 22 right Correct, yeah so uh let's just you know talk about you know your life story you can go back as far as you want and how you got to this particular point in your life who i mean yeah like so, like I said, I, I'm from East Providence, Rhode Island. Yep. Grew up there, lived there my whole life. Um, you know, went to East Providence High School and just, you know, baseball has always been my life. Like, it's always been my number one priority in my life. And I've loved it ever since I was started playing when I was three. I, you know, played a lot of different sports growing up. Baseball, basketball, football, you know, soccer, blah, 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 like, et cetera. Like, I was just a big athlete growing up, and sports were always number one. But at the end of the day, like, I knew baseball was my number one priority and just loved it, you know, more than anything else in the world. And, you know, I was always pretty good growing up, I guess you could say. Like, in Rhode Island, like, if you're from the Northeast, like, you don't really understand how great, like, how good people are at baseball until you, like, kind of leave. But for, like, Rhode Island, I I thought I was always good. You know, people probably would say that I was good, but... Um, you kind of get a wake up call, like once you, you know, get to college and, you know, play at a collegiate level. And then obviously now at a professional level, um, you know, it's very humbling sometimes to kind of see what competition is out there. But uh, yeah, I had a very unique journey uh, for baseball, especially, you know, for someone who gets drafted. So I let's go back to high school a little bit. Junior year, I was all right, like getting some, you know, D3 looks, some D2 looks. Uh, had a decent year in high school, had a decent summer, 
And then I committed to Wheaton College, which is a Division three school in Massachusetts, which for the Division three baseball, like it's it's top 25 program every year in the country, like powerhouse mm-hmm. in the Northeast. So it was very good Division three program. And then, but I never had any Division one looks, no Division one offers, never even talked to any schools anywhere around the country, even in the Northeast, didn't talk to anyone. And then went out my senior year, had probably the best year I've ever had in my career. One Gatorade player of the year, Projo player of the year, every award you could probably think of. And still, I mean, I was committed, but still didn't have any offers or interest from division one schools. So decided to go to Wheaton, which I was happy with, you know, I wanted to go there, um, you know, felt comfortable in, in that environment. And then went through the fall, you know, had a good, had a decent fall. It's throwing. All right. Hitting. All right. Um, yeah, I don't, I pitch now, but mm-hmm. I used to hit and pitch and play the field. But after that fall, uh, end of the fall discussion with the coach, like he, he just thought it was the best interest for me to just pitch only, which thankfully that kind of changed my career. And with that being said at the time, you know, I still wanted to hit at that time, but I made a decision to leave Wheaton and go the junior college route, nothing against the school or the coach or anything, but I just mm-hmm. felt, um, I was kind of selling myself a little bit short if I was just going to pitch, felt like I could pitch at a division one level. So left after my freshman fall, went to the community college of Rhode Island, uh, which is the junior college here in Rhode Island. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of time to make a decision. So that was kind of one of the only schools that I, you know, could have gone to like right after the fall. Cause usually kids will go a full year at their first school and then their sophomore year, they'll go to a junior college. But I felt like if I could leave as soon as possible, it would put me in a better position. So I chose to leave, went to the community college of Rhode Island, played that spring, had a really good spring, um, gained some weight, gained some um, strength and stuff. And my velo jumped a little bit in that spring from the fall. So I started getting interest from division one schools, you know, mostly Northeast and kind of around here, like the URIs, UConn, Northeastern, UMaine schools like that. And then in the summer I played, um, travel ball from my team growing up, which was Rhode Island prospects uh, through Cody Ortega, who helped me out a lot with the recruitment and recruiting process that uh, both in high school and in junior college. And then was starting to get more offers. You know, some big 10 schools came into picture, some American uh, conference schools, which eventually I chose to commit to University of Houston, which is in the American athletic conference and just felt comfortable, you know, got really good uh, connection with the coaches there and just, everything I felt very comfortable going to that school and then went there had a mediocre first year well back up a little bit sophomore year at junior college was COVID so that year got canceled um which kind of hurt me and helped me a little bit because I was I think if we had a full year and there was no COVID I probably would have gotten drafted out of junior college but considering there was COVID and the draft got moved back to five rounds only instead of the 40 that it was normally at. Um, it kind of hurt me a little bit, but I, I would, was very happy to go to Houston, you know, best times of my life, met some of my best friends today and just very grateful that that kind of happened. And I ended up going there now going forward to Houston, my first year, eh, kind of mediocre started on the weekends every time, you know, we weren't a very competitive team, lost a lot of games, but, um, you know, still started on the weekend, had a decent year, but not, I knew I wasn't going to get drafted. So with this COVID year, it helped me out because I had that extra year. So this past year was technically my junior year on the field. 
um, which allowed me to kind of go out there and, you know, got moved to the back end of the bullpen, was a closer this year at Houston, had, you know, really good year, you know, all conference uh, closer, was top five in the nation and uh, saves and, you know, strikeout to walk ratio, et cetera. Had a really good year and then fortunate enough to get drafted in the 14th round by the Royals. Um, and, you know, that's where I'm at today. Very cool. Yeah. Very interesting story. And we're going to dive into a few parts of each step of that story. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first question I have for you has to do with the coaching. So obviously you've been in a lot of different programs now from your high school career. What do you think is like the biggest difference between, say, um, the junior college at CCRI to from uh, Wheaton and... Houston, like, what's the difference from like you know, uh, a coaching standpoint? Like, mm-hmm. is, was there any glaring differences that you saw? I think the biggest thing is from like a Division three and like junior college, and I would even say most Division two schools is that the priority on player development isn't necessarily there mm-hmm. because they don't have the funds to do so, they don't have the coaching staff to do so not saying the coaching is bad, but just at a division one school, you have more opportunities and can bring in outside uh, coaches and analysts to look at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I think they have a tough time being able to grow the player, like player development. So, but not like, not in a bad way. It's just, they don't have the funds. Like I said, to kind of go get like yeah. your rap sodos, yep. your track mans. Yeah. Um, the edgertonic like video there's just not that available at a division three school obviously there's still player development in the sense that you're a high school kid coming into college most likely and they're helping you get grow into the college game but just from like a technological player development standpoint i just don't think that's there yeah interesting um what would you say was the i mean so you mentioned like technology wise and um, you know, coaching wise. So was there anything that you felt was hurting you at these colleges because you didn't have that? Or was it sort of you were on your own and it helped you and helped you figure out things that you wouldn't have, if that makes sense? I think one of the biggest reasons why I've had success is because early on in my career, like you go to a school and like, there's no strength coach. There's no yeah. academic advisor. So you have to be a man. Yeah. You have to grow up and be like, all right, if I want to work out, I have to do it on my own. Like yeah. no one's forcing you to go to the gym. No one's forcing you to do this and do that. And you know, my first year at Wheaton, we had like lifting partners yeah. and this kid, Paul was great with me. Like I had never really worked out in high school or anything. Like never went to the gym, didn't do anything was kind of just making it off my raw ability and talent. And then he kind of showed, like got me in the door and showed me the first ins and outs of like the gym and working out and stuff. And that was very eye opening for me because you go in and you're not the biggest and the best and the fastest and the strongest anymore. And cause there's guys three, four years older than you that have been doing it for four years and just know how to do it. So you kind of have to, there's a reality check that you need to, you know, be a man and do things on your own in order to succeed like on the field and in the classroom and even off the field sometimes as well. Absolutely. So you feel like being in a lower division, I guess not as competitive uh, area helped you from where you are now because you learned more about the process. Definitely. Because I always say like, now that I've been through it, like everyone loves the game. Like, 
there's no doubt about that. Division three, everyone loves a game. Division two, everyone loves a game. Juco, Division one, everyone loves a game. But you you find out a lot about yourself knowing that you're paying for school at a Division three school to play baseball. Like you, there's no strength coach. You have to do it on your own. You still have to wake up at six a.m. go to lift. Like mm -hmm. you really like it. It the game makes you ask yourself, do you love it? Because if it's very easy just to say no and quit baseball and just go to school and be a regular student. Um, and that, that really, I think helped me love the game even more because, you know, I went, made a decision to leave Wheaton and then that, then it's really on my own because in a junior college route, you don't even like, you don't live on campus. Like you got to drive to the gym, drive to the school, drive to the field every day. Mm -hmm. And that really helped me grow as a person and a player. All right, cool. So I want to get into like mechanics wise, and I'm curious to hear like your coaches at Wheaton. CCRI and then eventually Houston, right? Was there something that you felt like each program focused on from, let's say, a, a pitching standpoint? Because at all three, you did pitch. Mm -hmm. Was there anything that you felt like, like uh, they were focusing on individually, like from a program wise, if that makes any sense? Like mechanical, like wise? mechanical wise, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember too too much early on, like at yep. Wheaton, just because I was only there for fall, like yeah. I said, but they a lot of focus they put on was just making sure I, cause I was like scrawny skinny kid. Like I would say my mechanics have always been good. Cause I'm pretty athletic in the sense that, you know, played shortstop growing up and stuff. So, um, I don't like move like a robot on the mound. I feel like I can compensate for some maybe disefficiencies yep. with my athleticism. So they were kind of just very focused on me putting on weight and just gaining strength so I can, which leads to velo. Um, and then junior college was kind of the same thing. They kind of just let me do my own thing, maybe a couple things here and there. And then the biggest thing at Houston, I would say, is from, which from my first year to my second year was my second year. I went from the stretch only, no more windup. I okay. moved. I was more towards the third base side of the rubber, and I moved a little bit more towards the first base side because I throw a sinker, slider, and a changeup. So if I'm – more towards the third base side, I was having trouble getting into lefties because my ball is tailing over the middle too much. So with that addition of me moving over to first base helped out a lot. I don't think there was very many mechanical changes. Like for my mechanics in general, it was more of just like the environment around me changing and just kind of, you know, those little tweaks here and there. Yeah. Yeah. It, something that you hear a lot of for pitchers is, you know, baseball when you're a kid, like you, you're not dedicated to a position. Mm-hmm. Right. So you see all these guys in, in, in college and the bigs and their left fielders and their pitchers and their shortstops. But growing up, like you played every position. Exactly. Yeah. So and, and to carry that on throughout high school and then even into your first year of college greatly benefits you as an athlete. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Because if I mean, let's think of like extreme examples. Right. Uh, when you think of unathletic unathletic looking pitchers you think of Bartolo Colon right mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> but the guy had his years like he was nasty and he, and the reason is because like there's more to baseball than just you know than looks you oh, know than, than, yeah. than being fat and overweight like he <laughs> like he is unfortunately um but there's 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 you know, pitch selection and there's, there's more than just athleticism. Oh, definitely. I mean like, yeah, like if you dig deep into like what makes baseball players good at what they do, like Bartolo Colon, like yeah. you look at him, normal guy, like yeah. overweight, like doesn't look athletic at all, but 
if you dive deep into him, like he's super mobile, like yep. very flexible, yep. like can do all this, like with his body and how, yep. he want, how he wants to move his body. He can. So, yep. which has a lot to do with pitching and just, yeah. you know, in general mechanics Yeah. and people like the normal person, like, you know that, but the normal person every day, like who just watches a sport, like, isn't going to be like, Oh, like how's this guy a professional pitcher? Like he doesn't yep. look athletic or in shape at all. But right. There's things that he does behind the scenes and, excels at them behind the scenes that yep. another pitcher who looks jacked can't do yeah and they both help each other perform at the highest level so that's why baseball is one of the greatest sports because like it doesn't matter if you're five five six five you know 200 pounds chiseled or yep. 280 you know overweight like you could still be great at the sport and it just absolutely it's very everyone's different and everyone's people different. look at that as a negative right mm-hmm. Because they say, oh, baseball players aren't athletic. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you look at a lineman in football, mm-hmm. right? Some of those dudes are massive. Yeah. Are you going to tell me they're unathletic? Yeah, exactly. Because they're big guys. Mm-hmm. Like Bartolo Colon, for what he does, he gets a job done. Exactly. Right. You're not going to say, I don't know any defensive linemen in the NFL, mm-hmm. but you're not going to say that they're fat and out of mm-hmm. shape just because they look fat. Yeah. And you, people just try to discredit baseball because, you know, you don't have to jump high or necessarily run fast. But if you take LeBron James and have him try to throw a 90 mile an hour fastball, it just like isn't going to work. And no. that's not a discredit to LeBron because he's obviously one of the greatest athletes ever, but you just. It, there's so much more to baseball than just raw athleticism. Yeah. You know, there's hand-eye coordination and there's, you know, flexibility and mobility that goes into it that yep. some sport, other sports don't necessarily need. So yeah. it's, well, it's very interesting. Well, a lot of things, I mean, people think, you know, baseball is slow and it's like a chess match, right? And it is, but it's, it's when you're in the moment and you're playing and the ball is hit, it goes by so quickly. Mm. Like the play, it, it starts and it ends. Definitely. And there is no thinking. There is only doing. You yeah. have to go off of instinct, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and people think it's slow, but it's it's more of a meticulous sport. It's not like basketball where just back and forth and back and forth. You know, mm. like I'm not – I'm a baseball guy through and through. Like I, like I can't stand LeBron James and I can't stand basketball. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, but, I mean, that's sort of a drawback of me. I mean, I don't really, you know, watch other sports. Baseball is mm-hmm. the best. Um, but we, we well, let's continue defend and defend baseball and say it's the greatest sport. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, back to my point is like, it, and and leads into my next question, right? Is you mentioned, I think you mentioned like mindset, right? It baseball is a very mentally tough sport. Definitely. And I had on uh, a few podcasts ago, uh, Dylan Nadler, who I guess I should probably put you in contact with and he's a mental coach Mm -hmm. right and he's trained a lot of different athletes in a lot of different sports Mm -hmm. and he thinks baseball is the most mentally tough sport so coming from a psychiatrist and a mental training coach definitely you know so I'm curious to hear like what your mindset has been you know that's driven you to all this success yeah it's tough I mean at Houston we had a mental coach Brian Kane who is you know, probably one of the more popular sports mental coaches, you know, works with a bunch of teams, a bunch of individual athletes across the country. And he really helped change my mindset a little bit because growing up, like it's tough. Baseball is a game of failure. And if you don't understand that, then you are going to be an unhappy camper camper for a while. Like knowing that, you know, 
if you get three hits out of ten at bats, like you're a Hall of Famer, and if you like, you, it's not a you're never, you're never going to be perfect, and just understanding that, and I'm still learning that today. Like, obviously, you never want to go out there and pitch bad, and you know you want to be great every single time, perfect every single time, but just having an understanding of knowing that's not going to happen is has been one of the biggest things I've been working on and what Brian Kane, you know, a lot of his tippets that he gave us has helped out a lot. And just knowing that, you know, uh, like I said, like you're not going to be perfect every single time and just understanding that and moving forward with that has been one of the biggest mindset changes that I've endured throughout my career and what he taught us with like some of the stuff that I took from him is just making sure that you're breathing. Like breathing is so unimportantly so important in the game of baseball because if you throw a pitch and it's a ball, you know, maybe the umpire screwed you like it should have been a strike. Like there's nothing you can do about that after the moment. Like you, now you have to move on to the next pitch and just taking a step off and taking a deep breath before you move forward has unlimited change. Like it's so good for you and just you would be so surprised with how well that correlates to the next pitch and just certain stuff like that has definitely helped me out through my, my career for sure. It's funny you mentioned the umpires. So in the minor leagues, have you seen the automated umpires yet? So, so they only did it in one uh, like conference last year and it was like the West coast conference oh, okay. so, or whatever division. Yeah. So now I think, I believe going forward, it's in every division now. Okay. Um, so I haven't experienced it personally, but it, it'll be interesting for sure. I mean. So do you know what the exact rules are, like the challenges and things like that? I think it's you get three a game offensively okay. and like defensively as a pitcher. Yeah. I don't know if like you win one, you get another one, or if you just get three no matter what. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see how it works. Um, yeah. Just because like. You know, it could be a big moment, ball four for strike three or something, and, you know, could definitely change the uh, ending of a game. Yeah, I remember the biggest, like, miss I, I remember, like, from when I was just watching a game, not the Angel Hernandez highlights, but the, <laughs> um, I remember David Ortiz, they were playing the Yankees, Red Sox-Yankees, David Ortiz was up to bat, it was like the last inning, bases loaded, you know, mm -hmm. top of the ninth, and it's a 3-2 count, and there's a curveball, and it was... The umpire ended up calling it a strike. It had to be like four inches off the dish, like crazy. Mm -hmm. I just remember that pitch. That's like the biggest thing I remember is such a horrible call. Yeah, and, it's it's tough, man. I mean, those yeah. guys have a tough job. Yeah, like, they do. They, they're expected to, you know, there's probably, what, 150 pitches a night. Like, yeah. they're expected to kind of, you know, get every single one right. Mm -hmm. Like, it's tough. But, you know, I understand sometimes I get frustrated out on the mound, like, in a big call, like, the difference between ball four and strike three is very significant in every single game. So yeah. making sure that they're on top of their game is huge as well. But at the end of the day, they're human. So yeah. when they miss some calls, you kind of have to understand. But um, obviously, from a fan's aspect, you want them to get every single call right. Yeah, and, and I before I started coaching, I you know sort of toyed with the idea of becoming an umpire. Mm -hmm. And COVID hit, and then I just, it just sort of fizzled out. But now coaching... I would never want to be an umpire. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they're they never right. They're never right. Especially, that's, that's like, forget about majors. Mm -hmm. You know, they get paid a quarter million plus, you know. Yeah. So, like, you don't really feel that bad for them. Yeah. But from, like, like 
a travel team yeah, or like uh, they're getting 70 bucks a game and they're out in the sweltering heat and they mm-hmm. drove a half an hour, 45 minutes to get there. Yeah. And then some dad thinks he knows a great, you know, every rule and knows them ins and outs and, and the umpire is never right. And I always give the umpires like the benefit of the doubt, like mm-hmm. unless they're just like pitch after yeah, I mean, pitch. If they, if they know the rules yeah. and they're, you know, calling a decent game, like, Especially like young, like travel yeah. ball, like because if you like you said, like they got to deal with the kids, the yeah. parents especially, yeah, and the coaches. So, like no, like knowing that the zone's going to be bigger for twelve year olds than it is for eighteen year olds. Like just having an understanding that, yeah, they don't want to be there three hours every single day. Like ex- expanding, expanding, excuse me, the zone. Yeah, you know, a ball or two balls, like for twelve years old, twelve year old kids is not yes. going to be the end of the world. Yeah, because like, if you had a major league zone and and <laughs> yeah, for you're going to be there for four hours, kids <laughs> are just going to walk and walk. And yeah, just, it's rough. Yeah, it it is rough and. Something else I tell all my players is that you got to respect the umpires. You know, if there's an issue, you let the coaches take care of it. And even, and even we, like I, there was this one time where we had an umpire. It was for a rec team I was coaching, mm-hmm. and he just wouldn't stop talking to my catcher. Like, yeah. like that drove me. Cr- it was, I don't remember why, but I was already in a bad mood, <laughs> regardless of baseball. Something happened that day. I don't know, but he just would not stop talking like every like yeah. during pitches yeah and, i mean that's you just gotta let them play the game at that point yeah just, you know umpire and you're there for an hour and a half and then that's yeah it. you don't need to have conversations every time yes you know there's a difference between introducing yourselves saying hi and then like saying oh the weather's not you know yeah, whatever and there's always i i don't mind talking to them yeah. in between innings like, like i played first warming base up, like yeah. but once the inning starts like just yeah you know, let them play let them umpire because not only are you distracting catcher, you're distracting yourself too from yep. umpiring. Like absolutely, there's just more to it. So yeah. All right. So let's get back into you a little bit. I know you had mentioned from like high school to where you are now, you put weight on, mm-hmm. and I do want to delve a little bit more into the mechanics part. What is like the like you pit? Did you pitch a lot in high school? You did. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. All right. I I probably. I mean, if you were on the prospects, you probably pitched against me and struck <laughs> me out, but I don't remember. Um, but who knows? Maybe because we were talking about Maine before the podcast started, and mm-hmm. you probably pitched against me. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in that tournament. Um. But the amount of games you play in, like as a travel yeah, baseball yeah. team, hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. So many of them, and I and and Coach John Mello. Um, who is great? I'll be talking to him, and he'll be like, "You remember this date? Uh, at this time and this second, uh, you know." And I'm like, "How do you remember not that?" Really, I'm no, like, "I'm like," and he's coached a lot more games than you know I've played in. Yeah, he's ancient. Coach John is ancient, so um, but he's not really. But uh, it's crazy, like how he remembers. Yeah, it's nuts. Like those I mean, games, you obviously like. I obviously remember like big games growing up and stuff, but like just a random travel ball game and like when I was sixteen, like I don't, yeah, I don't know. I yeah, have no idea. yeah, hundreds of games and you know double headers and it was great. I would do it all over again. Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. I miss it so much. That's why I wanted to coach. Yeah, you know, there's nothing better than being out on a diamond in the middle of the summer. Even Especially if, like travel ball, like it was just fun. Like yep. with your boys, like 
not yep. serious, just joking around, having a good time. Well, yeah. Well, when you play for Coach John, that's not. Happens, but <laughs> I mean, we yeah, had a good time. There's always a serious aspect yes. of it, but well, you want to you want to play well. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you want to play well, and that's what he was all about. And you want to play well, you have to you have to know the moment. You know what I mean? Like you can't just be all loose and acting no, like it's all fine. Like you have to have moments of focus. You have like that's. That's, I feel like, the biggest difference between, like, a 12-year-old and an 18-year-old. You know what you I mean? You just need to know when you can separate those things. Yes. Like, when you, when you, you need to know when you need to take it serious and then yeah. when you can joke around a little bit. Yeah, and then, and then you need to understand that if you hold on to things, you know, like, if you strike out and you hold on to it, that's not going to affect yeah. you in a, in a good way. Definitely. It's going to negatively affect your mindset because then you're going to think, oh, I can't do this. It's just, like, you still got to remember, like – Hitting is difficult. I mm-hmm. mean, pitchers always have the advantage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you just got to remember that. So, um, but uh, yeah. So why don't we talk about, um, let's see here. Let's talk about um, the bigs. Or not the bigs, but the minor leagues, mm-hmm. right? So when you got to the minor leagues, right, what do you think was the biggest difference? So we're going to continue on the difference trend here from college mm-hmm. to the minor leagues. Did you feel like that there was like obviously more, um, what's the word I'm looking for avenues and people to help you? That's, that's for obvious, sure. right? Yeah. But what was like the biggest glaring difference between college? I mean, Houston was a great college, you know? To- yeah. I mean, from the game itself, like not too, too much of a difference. Like baseball is always going to be baseball, mm-hmm. but College, you play Tuesday, or at least at the Division One level, you play Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then in the minor leagues, you play Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it's six games a week rather than four. Yep. So And it's an everyday thing. Like, Mondays are your off day, but it's not really an off day. Like, you still got to go in, get treatment, do this, do that. Um, that's one of the biggest changes that I've noticed. But from college itself, college is specifically focused on winning baseball games. Yep. And the coach's job is determined on if you win or if you lose. So that coach is going to put out his best nine guys every single game with the expectation of winning the baseball game. And the minor leagues, excuse me, <clears throat> it's more focused on player development, I would say. Obviously, you want to win. Everyone, yeah. You don't want to lose baseball games. You never want to lose. You, you go into every game thinking you're going to win, wanting to win. Mm-hmm. But – if there's a kid who's 0 for 15 at the plate, you know, for the past four games, you're not going to bench him because you're trying to win. Like you're going to keep giving him at bats because it's focused on player development. Like this kid, you're trying to get this kid to the big leagues or same with a pitcher. If the pitcher, you know, let up three runs last outing or hasn't, has been throwing balls, like not really, you know, pounding the zone. Like you're still going to try to keep throwing him out there as much as you can because, you know he's good, and his player development is key number one and focus number one rather than, oh, man, like there's a guy on second. We're up by one. Like we shouldn't put pitch this kid because we're trying to win, blah, 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 like in the middle of a May game that you know doesn't exactly count. So I think that's the biggest difference is college is determined on winning, mm. and then minor leagues is obviously winning but more focused on player development. Yeah, do you think – is it is it like incredibly glaring with a lot of players like you ever meet somebody and they're just like all about themselves and it drives you crazy like is it like uh i mean yes sometimes like there will be kids who you know you can kind of tell they're a little bit cocky and stuff but 
you know, I've been fortunate, you know, a lot of the guys I've been around have been, you know, super humble. You know, I roomed with our first and second rounders this year, you know, yeah. when we went out to play low A in uh, Columbia, South Carolina for the Fireflies and, you know, talking to them, living with them, you wouldn't know that mm. they're, you know, a first round draft pick in the MLB, like mm -hmm. super chill guys, you know, super humble and just, you know, your everyday dude. But I mean, yeah, you're going to get the occasional kid who you kind of can just tell that, you know, I think walks with like their chest high and, you know just a little bit cocky, but knowing that I've been around has, yeah. has been like, Oh man, I don't want to be around this kid. So yeah. you know, I've been very fortunate and all the guys I've been around at least recently have, uh, you know, been super humble and just an everyday dude. Yeah. It, and something else I want to talk about. So the, the minor leagues is a very confusing and, you know, huge organization. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Cause each major league team has, Three minor league teams. Four. 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 So ex if you could explain that, like, I mean, obviously I've been a baseball fan my whole life and I still don't completely understand it. So yeah, explain uh, the system you're in. And, and It's really confusing. Yeah. So like the everyday viewer or, you know, if you don't know the ins and outs of baseball, even you, you said you yeah. don't really know, you're still confused by it and you love yeah. baseball. So it's not like the NFL or, you know, the NBA where you get drafted and you you get drafted by the Celtics and you play for the Celtics next yeah. year. Like that's, it's not how, how it is. Like no matter if you're a first round draft pick or a 20 round draft pick or an undrafted free agent, like yeah. you go through the minor league systems no matter what. So usually, I mean, it depends on the organization and how advanced they are and like how risky they are and determines like where you start. But usually you would start in, so there's four levels. It's low A, high A, double A, triple A, and then the big league team. So usually you'll, you know, get all your physicals done after you get drafted, whatever, maybe go out that year. But then the next year, you'll usually start in low A, depending on, you know, how many pitchers they need and whatever position you are, if you're a starter, reliever, closer, like, and also as how well you do in spring training. So that determines where you'll get placed to start. And then, you know, you could pitch good, you know, blah, 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 and then move up a level and then hopefully move up, keep moving up. But it takes like three, four years, two, four, two to four years before like you could even have a shot at making being in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. And also minor leagues is very difficult because you could be pitching lights out like five straight appearances, 10 straight appearances, really, really good. But people above you are pitching really good too. And there's no opening for you. So you kind of just get left in the, in that lower system when maybe you deserve to be higher in a higher yeah. system, but there's just no room for you or no spot for you. And they like no point of bringing you up, not to pitch you. So they just keep you down to keep giving you innings and stuff. So there's a lot that goes into it. Hey there, listeners. Thanks for stopping by to the podcast today. Please, before you're done listening to this episode, leave us a review. If you're on Spotify, you can review now. And you can also review on Apple Podcasts. But if there's any platforms that I'm forgetting about and you can leave us a review, please do so. If you're happening to watch us on YouTube, and if you don't know, you can watch these podcasts on YouTube now. Uh, please like and subscribe to the channel and share the episode as well. So thanks for stopping by, everybody, and enjoy the episode. That people don't understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like obviously in Rhode Island, we had the Pawtucket Red Sox mm -hmm. that left because Rhode Island sucks and <laughs> they couldn't get a deal. Yeah, done. And, like speaking on them, like a lot of people like 
will think like I'll, I'll say I got drafted and like they'll say oh I know there's a minor league system because the Paw Sox are like oh do you yeah. play for like the equivalent of the Paw Sox which I'm like no like that's triple yeah, A like yeah. I'll be there hopefully in you know maybe a year or two yeah. but um, no like it, there's more levels below that that people have to go through first and yeah. they're like oh I didn't know that and then it's like yeah well like that's kind of how it is and you know I understand like no one really I mean unless you're a baseball fanatic like don't really care about the minor leagues and blah 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 so um a lot of your, your everyday viewer isn't gonna know what the double a team is for the rockies like just, yeah you know unless you live in the area but um yeah there's a lot to it that people don't understand yeah what was it about the rockies something really funny came up well who, do you know what the mascot of the rockies is no idea. Yeah, nobody. I think it's a moose. I think it's like a Rocky, isn't it? That's a moose. moose. Is it? I think. I don't know. I just no, 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 no. That's Seattle. It's Seattle's. Yeah, yeah. Mascot. I don't know. I think I saw that on Talking Baseball. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, really interesting stuff. Um, let's see what else to talk about. Um, is there anybody that you have faced that you've pitched against that has made like the news or anything like that? Like, mm. like in the minors, that's pretty notable. That's going to be in like, like the big leagues, maybe. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm pretty new, so I've only. Yeah. I was only there for about a month. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no one that's like, you know, if it was, it's like all the new draft guys. Yeah. So they just started, so you don't, you have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's all right. Um. All right, let's go through. Um, let's go through an at bat. Right, you're mm -hmm. on the bump. I want to discuss, you know, all right, let's say, I mean, you're a closer now, right? Mm -hmm. All right, that, before we get to that, what's the biggest difference you feel like? Obviously, there's a glaring difference in starting and closing. You only pitch a couple innings compared to many innings. Yeah. What has been the biggest difference in maybe your pitch selection and your mechanics from when you were a starter to now a closer? I think the biggest thing between the difference is your routine. Yeah. So starting, you're on a – one day a week schedule pretty yep. much. So you say you're starting on Friday nights. Yep. Everything you do before that and after that is leading up to that Friday night start. So, you know, your lifts are scheduled for that Friday night start. Like say you lift, you know, Wednesday and then lift Saturday morning and or something like that. Like your routine as a starter is scheduled every single day for you to start that Friday night. And then right. after that, like you're throwing and everything else is scheduled to get your body right again to start the next Friday night. So that is how a starter's routine goes. And then coming out of the bullpen, it's completely different because you need to be ready to throw Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm -hmm. So making sure that your body's right every single day in order to be able to throw every single day is completely different, especially in college. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like, there was weekends where I would throw Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I threw three games on the weekend. And making sure that, you know, Thursday you know Thursday night I'm getting good sleep and, you know, my body's ready to throw Friday. And then after the game Friday, I'm up at the field, you know, an hour after. It's like 1130. You know, just ran. You know, got some treatment. You know, did arm care. Got broke a sweat, like I said. Just making sure that I'm ready again for that Saturday game. And if I do pitch Saturday, you know, hopefully I feel good. You know, this and that. But say I don't pitch, you know, I still got to be ready to pitch on Sunday. So just having a routine every single day rather than just leading up to that one day as a starter is was the biggest difference that I saw in my yeah. personal self. Because obviously, like I said, I started on the weekends my first year at Houston and then was the back end of the bullpen this past year at Houston. So 
just having a routine was huge for me. Yeah. An everyday routine rather than, you know, a routine for one pitching once a week. Has, has, is your pitch selection still the same? Like the type of pitches you throw? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So go over those pitches again. So I throw like a sinker slider and a changeup. Okay. And, uh, what would you say is like your, your strikeout pitch? You know, you got two strikes on a guy and I'd say my changeup, your changeup. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So something that, I mean, not to give myself a pat on the back, here but something i've always said is the change up is the best sport best pitch in the sport i it, agree it it's something every pitcher needs especially if you have a good change up in middle school high school and at the collegiate level mm -hmm. and you can throw consistently it's unhittable definitely I you agree. know it, unless you leave it over the plate you know up and high and it's just at that point it's just you know a, a hanging mm -hmm. slow fastball yeah it, it's so effective. And every pitcher that I've talked to, I'm like, you need to have a change. They're easy to throw. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, you, you just throw a circle change up. Mm -hmm. It's easy. You just pull down on it, you know, mm -hmm. and now it's easier said than done, but like something, everybody, every pitcher needs to know how to throw. Is a I change definitely up. agree. Yeah. I mean, obviously like I, at my level, like it's more in depth of like how you're attacking hitters, especially like yeah. I'm already like how I'm attacking righties compared yeah. to lefties. But like, in the high school level, like you don't really think about that kind of stuff. No. So just no, making sure, you know, you have, you know, a good fastball, something that can move away from whatever, if you're a righty, move away from a lefty. Yeah. I mean, move, excuse me, move away from a righty and having something that can dive off the table, like a change up yep. to a lefty is very important. And like you said, like, how do you grip your change up? I just throw like a, a normal circle change up yep. and you can throw it like a fastball, throw it exactly like your fastball. And yep. it's very effective if you can throw it. Do in you the hold right it spots. two seam or four seam? Uh, four seam. Four seam. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. No, sorry. Two seam. Two, two seam. seam. Yeah. So yeah. So with the seams. Yep. Yeah. Um, so what, how do you usually set up hitters for the change up? Like what's your ideal at bat? You know, let's get to an O2 count. Mm -hmm. How do you set it up? Let's say it's a lefty for yeah, example. I mean, and then we'll do right. Lefties. I tend to like, I have more trouble getting lefties out than righties just because. Well, yeah, it's righty. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, especially if I know I'm like, if I, as a reliever, like I, my game plan is completely different than when I was a starter. So yeah. talking from a reliever, like I try to work backwards to lefties. So maybe, you know, getting ahead early with a slider and then kind of working the change-ups off that. Yeah. And then maybe throwing a fastball glove side, you know, maybe uh, a ball in, kind of getting them off the plate a little bit and try to dive, have them dive out at a change-up across the plate. Yeah. So I usually, like I said, you know, maybe start with a slider or a fastball arm side, try to stick it. But with professional hitters, it's very tough to – because, I, like I said, I throw a sinker. So throwing a sinker arm side to a lefty professional hitter is tough because – you know, their barrel goes right into the ball and they'll just mm -hmm. send that in like the left center gap or the five, six hole. So working backwards has helped me out a lot with that. So yeah. starting off with an off speed, like I said, a slider, even a change up first pitch, you know, trying to land that first strike and then, you know, maybe throwing a fastball inside, you know, getting them off the plate a little bit and then diving back, you know, back foot with the slider or going yeah. back to the change up. It kind of, you also read their swings. So every pitch. So yeah. like if they don't, like say say I throw a fastball in and they kind of like it's a strike and they don't like they don't react or they're like oh I, you can kind of tell like from their body language if they like that spot or not yeah maybe I'll go back to that or say they you know swing through it but it's a good swing all right I'm not throwing that again like let's yeah. try to get them to dive out of the changeup so reacting to how their body language is and how they swing the bat is very important at my level but yeah like like I said kind of just you know starting them with an off speed and then maybe going hard in and then off speed away again uh is 
you to a lefty. lefty. To a lefty, correct. All right, so let's go to a righty now. Like, how would you set up a righty? So I have a little bit easier, not saying it's easy, but I have a better time getting righties out because I throw a sinker and like yep. a two seam in and get it in on their hands, yep. which is tough for them to hit. So I usually start a start out with like a sinker arm side, you know, try to get that on the on the on the black on the inner third of the plate and then kind of expanding the zone away maybe with a slider like a ball off to see if they chase it and then if not maybe go slider for a strike again. Yeah. And then a sinker like maybe a ball or two in, get them off the plate a little bit and then probably either a fastball again or a slider. The difference with people don't understand that or that's not a word for it like Using a changeup right on right or left on left is like not like looked against like from the baseball world, but not a lot of people do it. Yeah. But if you can throw a right on right changeup in the right spot, it is virtually unhittable, and I yeah. will die on that. It hill. looks like a fastball, and then all of a sudden it just whoop drops. Yes. Like, <laughs> and I I use that a lot like towards the end of the college season because you you end up facing the same guys like over and over again pretty yeah. much, especially in the conference tournaments. So they kind of pick up like what you like to do. Yeah. And I was using my change up like right on right against, you know, righties. And it was very effective. Like they were swinging right over it or they were, you know, taking it and then getting blown up by the fastball. So if you can throw a same side change up, it's virtually unhittable in the right spot. Yeah. And sinkers are are sort of like the new fad in baseball. It's like, it's, it's, it's weird, man, because I would say, you know, baseball today is a lot of analytical games. So A lot of people are chasing for like the four seed ride ride up in the zone and then yeah. a hammer curveball off of it. But I think throwing a sinker slider is very important as well because, you know, guys are out in front of it and just beat the ball into yeah. the ground and, you know, get quick outs and stuff like that. So it, it's tough. That's why baseball is so great because you can just pitch to your strengths and yeah. and why hitting is getting different. more difficult yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> because you you know like especially guys like trevor bauer right who i've said before and i will continually defend trevor bauer i think he's a great great for the game like that whole situation was terrible with what happened to him but like to hear him talk about pitching from a from a more you know, human standpoint, it's not like the mics in front of him after a game. This is what ha- like to hear him more from an analytical standpoint mm-hmm. is really great. And I love, I mean, I subscribed to MLB TV when he was playing, um, to just watch him pitch, yeah. you know, just because I would, I would look forward to it just cause it's, he's got such a great pitching motion. It's simple, mm-hmm. right? It's not like Chris sale. Who's tall, lanky and all over the place. You know, it's a very simple, pitching motion like like kenley jansen's the same way like like simple right mm-hmm. not overcomplicated like some of the japanese like you see some of those old school japanese guys you know everybody comes in with like some weird hitch or whatever yeah you know what i mean um what do you, i want to i want to hear like was there ever a point like did, did you ever feel like you were tipping pitches did that ever come across like and for people that don't know tipping pitches is if you're still listening this far into the podcast and you don't understand baseball, tipping pitches is when you might do uh I don't know, something consistent to tell the batter what kind of pitch you're throwing mm-hmm. essentially. Right right? Like it might be just a twitch with your glove or something when you're throwing a fastball, mm-hmm. but you don't do it on a curveball. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. sort of what tipping your pitches is. Um not necessarily myself. Yeah. Like so sometimes like if there's a runner at second um, they're obviously trying to see in your gloves, see what grips you have. And yeah. like, I have like pretty big hands. So yeah. like when I throw my change up, like you can kind of, you, this like what I was told, like you can kind of see like 
how my hands gripped like as a changeup already. Yeah. Um, which I'm trying to work on right now and just trying to you know hide that a little better. But there was one weekend we were I forget who we were playing last year, but like I throw a lot of fastballs arm side and off speeds glove side. Like I don't throw many fastballs glove side. Yeah. Just because like I throw my I have a lot of run and stuff, so like throwing glove side like I can it can just leak over the plate. But is your arm um, slot more over the top? It's like or three quarters. Three quarters. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so my catcher would set up arm side when I was throwing a fastball, and then glove side when I was throwing a slider. So their coach was like yelling something from the dugout, like say, a code like, say word. something yeah, code when word. I, when it, yeah. he thought it was going to be a fastball arm side yeah, or a fastball in general. And then would say something else when he thought it was a slider. And we, I picked up on it. Yeah. And then we kind of like changed up like how we were set up and stuff. But yeah, from a personal uh, standpoint, I don't think I was ever tipping from like my mechanics or yeah. flicking my finger or something or yeah, I don't, I don't think I was doing any of that. Well, I mean, I hope not, but yeah. <laughs> well, I think in 2020 Blake Snell was doing it when he was on, on the Rays in the world series. Yeah. I mean, um, it's crazy how such a little thing people oh can pick gosh, up. Like yeah. people were saying, um, who was it this year? Oh. It was like uh, lifting their leg higher on a fastball. Oh my gosh, I, I forget who it was. I can't remember. It'll come to me later. But I know what you're talking about. But like these are the things like when it comes to baseball, like the games within the games. Yeah, exactly. Right. So like when I coached, like I I saw kids steal signs from our team. Mm-hmm. I don't look down upon it. Like I don't think it's bush league. No, it's part yeah. of the game. And if you're if you're blatantly doing something then it's more of an you issue why than, why shouldn't the other team yeah, take advantage exactly. of it and, and it's already hard enough of a game to where like without anything it's hard yeah. to win and hit yeah. and pitch so like like and i've done any some, little advantage i've done some i mean i guess you could call it bush league stuff as a coach when a catcher i'm coaching first like i wasn't the head coach of our team i was mm-hmm. the assistant so i coach first when the catcher on the other team is i can see and i'm like standing in the first base coach box and i can clearly see his signs like you don't think i'm gonna relay that to my hitter yeah like come on like you as a catcher need to you know instead of sitting there with your legs wide open just bring your legs closer together you know what i mean like it's that simple Mm -hmm. so like it it, those are the things and then we had a catcher who uh their signs were being stolen so we had a runner on second base we were Mm -hmm. on defense obviously and the the runner on second base was relaying mm-hmm. to the hitter, you know, helmet yeah, taps, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, things like that. And those are other, that's another thing like people don't realize is like you have to be mindful of all these little minute details, yeah. right? And and as a baseball player, like you you can't learn about baseball by watching it. Mm-hmm. And it's, I guess it's like that with every sport, but there are so many little things like tipping your pitches, you know, stealing signs and things like that, that are just like so many different things that people don't think about from just watching baseball. 100%. And now it's crazy how it's like changing. Like now people are using like the wristbands for signs, like yep. from the catcher and the pitcher. Or well, yeah. Cause this, like cause the, the pitch com or whatever. Yeah. Um, Have you used that pitch com? Not pitch com, but no. we did like the, uh, wristband yeah. and we did like a, uh, it's like a, a wristband again, but it has like, I don't know, like 24 on it or yeah. which, or say 23, which is, would be like, curveball like down in the zone or something like specific numbers would lead to so like the the catcher would flash the signs but it'd be a combination like a a thing right here and the catcher has one too and it it has like a little like digital thing and it'll say like 
two, three, four. Yeah. And two, three would be like what you're looking at. And oh, it's be, a screen. Yeah. And it oh. would be like curveball for two. And then three would be like glove side. So first pitch would be pitch. And then the second yeah. pitch would be location. And you and the catcher have it. And then the coach just like inputs it in a little remote thing. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it's definitely neat. Huh. Yeah, that's really that's that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um so uh so let's go through the process, right, of your current pitch selection. Okay. Right? Cuz everybody knows, you know, fastball, changeup, curveball, right? Those pitches. But uh, it's very rare where you see a clean Kershaw, fastball, changeup, curveball pitchers nowadays, like I said, sinkers are like the new fad in baseball. Mm-hmm. It sort of started like picking up again with like Jake PV, I guess had a sinker going on like mm-hmm. in 2011 or something like that. And it sort of caught on, but how did you develop like the three main pitches that you have? Yeah. I think like growing up, you always throw four seam. You try to yeah. throw a curveball, try to throw a change up, try yeah. to throw a slider, I guess. Yeah. But, um, with my arm slot, it's tough to kind of throw a curveball because yeah. I'm from the side. So not being able to get on top of a pitch, that's kind of wiped that pitch out of there. So yeah. like slider more, you know, convenient for me, uh, get better movement, you know, just have more feel for that pitch. Mm-hmm. So that's how I kind of developed my slider and just, you know, been trying to tweak that as much as I can in the past few years. Uh, sinker kind of the same thing. Like I try to throw a four seam and it, it moves like it has like ASR, which is like arm side run. Uh, not as much as my sinker, but when, you know, I'm trying to get the best out of every pitch I throw. So just eliminating a four seam and just throwing a sinker and having it move like how I want it to and knowing it's going to move this much rather than this much was how I selected the the sinker. And just with my arm slot, it just moved anyway. Mm -hmm. So, and then change up, you know, kind of everyone throws a change up and just, you know, tweaking that and making it, you know, seem very similar to your fastball and then just drop off the table like you know have it 10 miles an hour less than your fastball that's yep. kind of how i chose that and obviously like we were talking about it's a very effective pitch yeah did you ever play around with different grips or did yeah, you always definitely. do circle I mean, change um I, as of recent i can only really think of like having that grip because it's comfortable for me and it, yeah. it works for me and i'm able to throw it for a strike and throw it in the dirt if i want to or throw it here, throw it there. So that's one of the biggest things that I would say has led to my success is, you know, I'm able to pound the zone and kind of throw the ball where I want, when I want. And I don't have to worry about not being like eliminating pitches in a two, two count or a three, two count. Like I can throw, you know, all three of my pitches in any count Yeah, and just, you know, not all the time, but pretty much throw it where I want for the most part. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's one of the biggest keys to my success. And, you know, has led me to, you know, not walk as many guys and just get early contact and, you know, have quick innings. So, yeah, um, I think all that has, you know, added up and been, been very beneficial for me. Yeah. Something else that it's good for a lot of young pitchers to realize is getting balls in play, like hitters making contact is not a bad thing. Walks are bad. Mm-hmm. It, it's not only bad for your team because it's base runners, it's bad for you because that means you're throwing more pitches. Definitely. Right. Um, so like contact hitters, like it's all about the strikeout, you know, but contact pitchers, that's how you get low pitch games, mm-hmm. you know, cause having one pitch at bat, two pitch at bats, Definitely. You, you know what I mean? So that's something that I also encourage is like, don't be ashamed if you're putting balls in play. No, definitely. I mean, that comes with maturity. Like, yeah, obviously you want to punch everyone out. Like you, you don't want to let up hits and yeah. you don't want to let up contact, but knowing that it is so incredibly hard to hit the baseball yep. perfect every single time mm-hmm. and 
yeah, you're going to get balls that sneak through the five, six hole or flare in a gap, but more times than not, like letting the ball in play is going to lead to an out rather yep. than a hit. Nine or, gloves, one bat. And if you, one ball, I'd rather let up a single than walk a dude because it's the same thing. Yeah. Like, at least I know I was pounding the zone and you know, it could, if he smoked it in the gap and it's a double, then you know, it is what it is. Like yep. as lot like if I walked a dude before that and he smokes it in the double for a mm -hmm. gap, that's a run rather than, you know, focusing on pounding the zone and getting early, like getting ahead early in the count yep. and letting your defense work behind you. And that's what I've noticed the most is if you are a like ground ball pitcher or just a contact pitcher in general, the guys behind you want to play more for you instead yeah. of if you're walking a dude in inning and then you know punching a guy out like keeping them involved in the game allows for them to want to be out there and just yeah. not saying they're going to fall asleep out there but just having them on their toes every single time like maybe they're an extra step like closer to a ball that they can get in the hole rather than if you walk two guys and then let up a ground ball that ball gets through so just making sure that you're pounding the zone and letting balls in play early in counts, like yeah. you said, saves your pitch count and keep, like I said, keeps the guys involved in the game. Mm -hmm. Would you say you're more of a of a contact pitcher? Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what What's your velo on on your sinker? Uh, I'm like 93, 95, like okay. about to 97. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I could hit that. <laughs> <laughs> trying to throw harder. Name of the game is velo nowadays, but yeah. So something that you mentioned in the very beginning is adding weight and strength brings up velo. I agree. Yeah. Okay. So obviously I mean, there's more to it. Yeah. But like that in my life, that's what I've noticed. So like. I was probably, I don't know, 83, 86 my senior year of high school. Like, yeah. good for around here, but not good enough to, you know, compete anywhere else, really. And then, you know, put on 20 pounds, went from like 170 to 190. And then I was like 87, 89, yeah. touching 90 my first year at Houston. I mean, uh, first year at CCRI, excuse me. And then put on a little more weight. I was 200 pounds. And now I'm 89, 91. And then put on a little more weight. Now I'm 210. And then I'm 90, 92. So, Obviously, there's more that goes into it, like mechanically and flexibility and mobility wise. But mm -hmm. I think the bigger and stronger you are leads to more velo. Yeah, because I mean, the, obviously, the prime example of that is Chris Sale, right? Mm -hmm. The guy is I mean, literally dudes are, some dudes are freaks. Yeah, so like, yeah. that's that's what people have to understand. Like Chris Sale, 180 pounds, maybe soaking but wet. The kids, but the kids, the guy's made of glass. Yeah, that's the downfall of yeah. it. Yeah, but then there's also like you know. Miguel Castro, who pitched for the Mets last year, sits yeah. 98. Like, he's probably 160 soaking wet. Like, some yeah. guys are just very freak athletes and yep. just everything natural. works for them. And it's super natural. Like, DeGrom. Like, if you yeah. look at DeGrom, like, yeah. this dude couldn't – you know he can't lift – like, you can't, he can't squat 225. No. Like, probably not. Like, but he sits 98 and is one of the best pitchers in the game. Like, obviously, he's had his injuries and stuff, which some could argue, like, being a little skinny has – like had an impact on that, but you can, injuries are all freaky too. Like yeah. You, you can't guess an injury or no. So like, it just depends like on the person. Like for me personally, I think the bigger and stronger I get, the harder I'm going to throw. Yeah. But some guys, like I said, are just freaks and just kind of were born with it. So yeah. Well, and something else you got to think about, right. Is the stress in your body. Obviously working out gets you in better shape, but also, I mean, wears your body down. Definitely. Right. So you look at again, Bartolo Colon, right. <laughs> I mean, he, I guess, worked out, quote-unquote. But, like, he didn't just stress his body out all the time, which is why he was able to play for, like, 20 years. Definitely. I, right? Like, like saying something off that, like, I think knowing your body yeah. is super important and not over-pushing yourself. Like, 
you need to work hard without overworking. Mm-hmm. So like well you said. can, you can work out three, four times a week and, you know, be perfectly fine. And then there's some guys who work out twice a week and, you know, maybe go harder in those two workouts and, and it equals your four workouts or it's blah, blah, blah. Like, but then there's also guys who are like, Oh, I need to work out every single day. Yeah. Like work hard every single day, like bench the house every day, squat the house every day. Like, I'm not saying I, I disagree with it, but you need to give your body time to recover and stay healthy is the biggest thing that I, I can say is just best availability or excuse me, the best ability is availability. So yeah. knowing you can, that your coach can put you out on the field every single day and not yep. have to worry about a lagging hamstring or yep. this or that injury because say you were overworking or not taking care of your body yep. is sometimes there's a difference between making it or not. And, you know, obviously you need to work hard, but recovery and sleep and diet and nutrition is super important as well. Mm-hmm. Like even more important, I would say than, you know, what you do in the weight room or on the field. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and stretching and just taking care of yourself, you know, like something that, I mean, think about how many, like personally, I've met a lot of older people that have said, Oh, you know, if my shoulder was fine, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, I would have been, I, I would have gone places, you know, like I personally know somebody who was drafted by the blue Jays and, and his arm just crapped out on him. Yeah. I mean, you know? it's, it's tough. Like, and we're very fortunate today that we have like the medicine and doctors and all this knowledge about our body and surgeries mm-hmm. and, you know, recovery and needling and cupping and all this yep. that helps us. But also like you, that doesn't mean you can't just like not forget about sleep and eating three meals a day yep. and, you know, just making sure you're good as, as a person and, um, like your body is good as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So another question I have for you mechanics wise is what do you feel like is the most important part of a pitching motion? Like what have you focused on the most throughout the years to improve upon? I think timing. So just yeah. making sure you're, like you're on time and that's what I'm working on now because like I'm tall and long and lanky. Yeah. So like it's very easy for me to get out of sync but I'm athletic, so I can kind of make up for it. But like in five years, I'm not going to be as athletic as I am now. So making sure that I can, you know, be on time now and, you know, will help in the long run, I think personally. So just making sure that like when your foot strikes, like your arm's not lagging too far behind yeah. and, you know, you're in the right position, uh, like at foot strike and just being on time is super important. I think personally in sync. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Something that, I mean, I pitched very little, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I was a bad pitcher, <laughs> <laughs> but when I did try to learn and, and, and try to get good at pitching for me, like the moment of where you build confidence is the leg lift for me. Like when I lifted my leg and you feel like, you're an elastic, right? You just got to uncoil. You know what I mean? Just like hitting, you know, like you sort of just coil up and then, you know, explode. Definitely. You know what I mean? That was like the point where like, I almost knew in my head if the pitch was going to be halfway decent or not. Sure. I, I mean, I think the fastest I ever threw was 78, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, I don't know too, too much about like the body and how it moves mechanic wise. Like I kind of just, you know, play baseball and kind of go out there and just do what I can. Absolutely. Um, but growing like getting older and stuff like you have i learn more and try to learn more about like how i'm moving and what is what works for people what doesn't right so i think there's a lot more understanding now of like 
what there's like some core principles that uh, like pitchers need. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like not everyone throws different. Everyone is timing different. Everyone is in sync different. So just knowing what works for you and how your body moves and what makes you successful, yeah. uh, I think is super important. All right. So I know this isn't, you know, the best thing to talk about, but have you ever hit up, let up a home run and somebody bat flipped against you and you got really pissed and retaliated? No, no. not no. I mean, no. like, I, I, if you watch me play, I play with a lot of emotion and a lot yeah. of energy out on the field. Yeah. And like, if I punch you out in a big moment, I'm gonna let you hear about it. And yeah. if you hit a homer off me, then you should be able to do what you want. Yeah. Like, obviously, there's, you know, don't walk around the bases, but if you want to bat flip and, you know, talk crap or say something to your dugout or say something to me, like it is what it is. Like yeah. it's good for the game. I think obviously there's some respect you need, still need to have for your opponent and mm -hmm. yourself and the game. But if you want to bat flip and, you know, hype up your teammates, like yeah. I'm all for it. Like usually like, I don't even see it anyway. Like I'm hoping the ball doesn't leave, like looking at the ball, trying to uh, going over the fence. But yeah. um, yeah, I don't mind that stuff at all. Uh, Cause like I said, like I, I play with a lot of energy and you know, sometimes I deserve it. I think like mm. I'll say too much and then they, they kind of get a big hit or something, Yeah, but uh, I don't mind it at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when I, when I had Dan Sarmiento on a few episodes ago, we talked about that cause obviously he has interviewed Erickson before and he's mm. huge about emotion and baseball and, and, yeah. and whatnot. And I'm like, you know, obviously I know a lot of old fashioned baseball guys, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And I think I'm I'm definitely a fan of emotion in baseball. It mm -hmm. adds to the game. It mm -hmm. adds entertainment to the game. Definitely. But I, but like you said, there needs to be respect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's a and there's, time and a there's place. There's a time and a, I was just about to say there's a time yeah. and a place to do it. Like if you hit let up or if you're a hitter and you hit a first inning solo homer, like maybe not bat flip to the moon. Like yeah, yeah you can bat flip, but like run around the bases like don't say it's a first inning like yeah. it's, it could it's a lot baseball of is a very very it takes one pitch yeah and like it could come back and bite you so like maybe if you strike out a guy in the first like don't scream coming off the mound yeah. like I, it, there's a time and a place to do it yeah and um you know sometimes you know you go you go over that like you're not you do it when you're not supposed to but yeah. um you know you live and you learn and yeah. just, you know, I think it's better for the game rather than not doing anything at all. A couple more things before we, we wind up, wind out, um, like shifts. Was there shifting in when you were in college? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Has, was it, has it been banned in college yet? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we did it last year a little bit, Yeah. but like in college, you don't really have enough information. I mean, you, you, you might think you do, but yeah. 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 I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Like just, um, but we did it a little bit um, more of like not like these dramatic shifts where the third baseman is playing shortstop, but um, more of like say like Based third baseman playing down the line, shortstop's playing a little in the five six hole, yeah. and the second baseman maybe shades up the middle a little bit. Uh, but I think it's it's obviously beneficial. Like yeah. Um, well, what about if, in the minors? Like, do you guys? Yeah, there's no more. So like we do like the same rule, or we we did no shifts last year. So like okay, two on each side. 
um, of the and they bank, have to be yeah. in the grass or on the dirt rather, not in the grass. Uh, but you can kind of shift them how you want. Yeah. And there's obviously holes open. Well, isn't it when the pitch is thrown, you have to be on the dirt, right? Because yeah, remember, yeah. like Dustin Pedroia would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every pitch he would start in the outfield, yeah. and then he would just be moving in. Yeah. You know, um, that's to how get it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Really interesting. Well, uh, it's been a great conversation. Definitely. We always love talking baseball. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, but before we end, I got to ask you this one question. Uh, I ask every question, everybody on my podcast this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were to leave one piece of advice to the listener, let's say it's a young kid who wants to play Major League Baseball or, or wants to get into a higher level of baseball, what mm-hmm. would you say to them? I think just bet on yourself. Um, no one knows you better than yourself. Mm-hmm. And just understanding that and always trusting in yourself and knowing that it's you against the world and then sometimes you against you mm-hmm. as well. But just betting on yourself and never giving up on your dreams and goals. And even if that means like, you know, my dream was to play like in the big leagues, but say that doesn't happen, like still staying in baseball somehow, or, you know, keeping that love for the game somehow in life. I think just betting on yourself and just always keeping the passion and fire for whatever you, you know, believe in and then love in life is, is super important. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. And I wish you the best of luck in your career. Uh, hopefully, you. we'll see you out, uh, you know, in the big someday. So hopefully, yeah, I'll bet on it, and I'm sure you will. So, but like you said, just keep working hard, and and you'll get there. So, like I said, thank you very much, and uh, everybody. Uh, if you want to get podcasts weeks in advance, so right now sitting down with Ben on uh, February 16th. Uh, this podcast won't be posted for a few weeks, but if you want to get it tomorrow, which is the 17th. You have to subscribe on Patreon (laughs) for $3 a month. Or if you're feeling really nice, $10 a month. If you really want to support the podcast, go ahead and subscribe on Patreon. You can find the link on kip-pod.com. Follow on Instagram. And we just got a Facebook account as well. Perfect. Yeah. So make sure to follow. Follow the socials. Yes, sir. Do you have a social as well? Uh, Yeah. You can just look me up on Instagram, Ben Sears or bsears underscore 12. Um, Twitter, same thing, bsears underscore 12. Cool. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And I will catch you in the next one.